In honor of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you can get all The Athletic's great writing and podcasts for just $1 a month for 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash theupdate starting today at 2 p.m. The deal goes until midnight on Monday the 29th to unlock the very best price of the year. Just $1 a month for new subscribers. For The Athletic Podcast Network... This is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Eno Saris, who covers baseball for The Athletic, about award season. We just wrapped it up. There is some debate about whether or not Corbin Burns should have been the Cy Young Award winner over Zach Wheeler. We can talk about how he weighed in the options of making Shohei Otani the MVP over that of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who had a stellar season in just his age 23 year. Also, we can talk a little bit about some rule changes that maybe should happen across baseball. All things we'll discuss with Eno Saris, who joins me next. Today is Monday. November 22nd. It's been too long, but always a pleasure and a lot of fun to talk baseball with Eno Saras. He, of course, covers Major League Baseball and beer or uh, or booze. How do you want to phrase it, Eno? <laughs> For the athletic man, what's going on, dude? How are you? Beer. I'm into the I'm into the brown liquors, but I, I just don't know that much about them. We like to drink them in copious amounts. That's, that's, that's about as far as my analysis goes as well. Um, <laughs> thought it'd be fun to have you on to talk some uh, some award season stuff, man. We just wrapped it up, of course. We found out the MVPs, the Cy Youngs, Managers of the Year, and all that nonsense. I've got a gripe, though. I, I'm just going to open it up with something I want to bitch and moan about, and that's um, the Rookie of the Year status, and I put this out on Twitter, for how guys are eligible. Now, I know Randy Rosarena has been around for a couple of seasons, spent time at the big league level, won the American League Championship Series, Series uh, MVP back in 2020. Lamont Wade Jr. had entered 2020. I know they're not up against each other. It's different leagues. They entered 2020 having both played the same number of games entering 2021. They'd both played 42 or 46 regular season games. Lamont Wade not even eligible for the Rookie of the Year. Randy Rosarino wins the Rookie of the Year. What gives? Oh, my God. Is it? It's probably about the number of days on the roster. Yeah, which is sort of preposterous. Like, I just feel like, especially because, and I know playoff rostering doesn't count towards this, but Randy Rosarino played through, like, an entire postseason and, and played, <laughs> had, like, you know, exponentially more at-bats that just for some reason don't count because they happen in the postseason, when really those should count for more because they're in the postseason. It's all regular season stuff, just because not every uh, player has access to the postseason, and so... They just discount that. But I think it's also augmented by the fact that we had that that short 60-game season last year. I think that if we'd had a full season in 2020, Randy Rosarena would have played more. But yes, the jokes about how uh, we look forward to him winning Rookie of the Year again next year uh, <laughs> are well-deserved. Uh, uh, I do think that uh, straight plate appearances would also make it a lot easier on sites like Fangraphs and places where you have to sort these guys and you have to you know, call them rookie eligible. It's a lot easier if you can just say 150 plate appearances equals not a rookie. And that really, I guess, should be the rule. But you know, a lot of this stuff in the CBA, which is uh, up for debate right now, is based on, on service time, days on the calendar. I don't know exactly why. 
it's something it's just sort of funky you're right with the uh just sort of Maybe it's uh, like it, arcane leftover yeah. rules yeah. <laughs> it's it's some minutia i just i just wanted to gripe about something because that's what we do in baseball something gets thrown <laughs> at you and you gripe about it and then we move on and we and we get ready to watch the games let me ask you did you have a problem with the winner of the national league cy young award being corbin burns he uh, finishes with a, a 2.43 era leads the league a, a 176 era plus a 1.63 fip leads the league as well and he only throws 167 innings a lot of people Thought it should have been Zach Wheeler because innings count is what people think. 213 innings pitched, I think, is what he had. A 14-10 and 10 record and some pretty good numbers. Where did you come down on the Cy Young Award voting and uh, and sort of the gripes on both sides of that? Yeah, I think it, it was a, a close one for me, and I don't think it was a slam dunk. I would not be mad at any selection by any voter or fan because the difference between the two if you had to make up the innings between Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler, you would have to have a 4.1 ERA, basically. That's around a league average pitcher, a little bit better than a league average pitcher. And so, really, I think that is a pretty strong argument for Wheeler because the whole idea with replacement is that you would have to replace those innings with like a quad A guy, a guy in triple A, like just a, a readily available pitcher. And that pitcher's not going to throw you a 4-1 ERA. So I do think Wheeler's uh, volume mattered. But then we always try to take the players out of the context of their team to give these individual awards. And if you think about it, the context of these teams is so important. The Phillies had the worst bullpen well, not the worst. That was like a couple years Two ago. Two years they had ago, the worst it was bullpen terrible, like yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. They had a bad bullpen still this year. And the Brewers almost always have one of the best bullpens, probably because they have Josh Hader. If you've got Corbin Burns and you've got Josh Hader and Devin Williams and Jake Cousins, then you're just going to you're gonna go bop, 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 you know, nine innings, we won the game. But if you're the Phillies, you're going to say, Wheeler, <laughs> we really need another inning out of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you know his his arm can take the load. Let me ask you this then. From, from the time like you were a kid watching baseball, and we all try to handicap this stuff at the end of a season based on, on how guys have performed, how much is your perception of what's valuable for these awards has changed? Like, because we have access to these other numbers and – you know, you go back to 1995, nobody's counting FIP then. Nobody is paying attention to any of that sort of analytic from Bill James. How much is your perception on what you weigh as far as what's important for these awards has changed over over the period of your life? Yeah, I do think that I've probably transitioned a little bit towards rate stats and away from raw stats. Mostly uh, because just generally, we used to have a lot of pitchers that were qualified for the ERA title, and that number has just dwindled year over year. We used to have a lot of pitchers that threw 200 innings, and we just now we got like one or two a year. <laughs> and so, you know, focusing on raw stats and being like, oh, this guy threw 300 strikeouts this year or whatever. If you continue to focus on raw stats, you would just never get those same benchmarks you used to get, you know? When I was a kid, I remember, you know, 300 strikeouts, big deal. Now it's like, well, is anybody going to get to 300 strikeouts? <laughs> is anybody going to make these raw benchmarks that we used to have? So, yeah, because of that, I've focused on it. And I don't know that it's – I don't know whose fault it is. Is it the nerd's fault? Is it baseball's fault or whatever it is? But just because fewer and fewer people are throwing up those big innings totals, it has devalued – you know, what you think about innings, you kind of have, we've all kind of started to think about strikeouts per nine or, or strikeout percentage instead of raw strikeouts. And that'll lead you a little bit closer to Corbin Burns.
I love that you just threw out the nerds because to me, when we refer to the nerds in baseball and everybody does it, we all just throw it out there. It's like the cloud. You know what I mean? It's just kind of out there. Nobody ever sees them. They're all sitting in a room somewhere making decisions. They're all on, working together. Yeah, they're all too. working together on like what's important in baseball, and we just talk about them like they're out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. N- <laughs> I think that's a really important thing to point out and distinction to make because every team has their nerds, and every and every team is trying to win. And so when I think that in, when you have a problem with baseball, blame the front office, blame the front office of baseball, blame Rob Manfred because they should be making rules that incentivize. Uh, the gameplay that you want because all the nerds are saying is tell us the rules and we're going to try and win right right they're playing within the parameters of what the game is allowing them to do so they're trying to find yeah if the rules change they'll change it up if you said to them tomorrow you can only have five pitchers available for every game you know that the way that we value pitchers the way we value innings the way we develop pitchers would change really quickly (laughs) because they would say oh crap we only have five pitchers per game well, one of those guys better go six or seven. That's an interesting notion as a way to fix maybe the speed of the game or to change how many pitching changes happen is to is to give a team X number of pitchers. And then maybe if it goes 12 innings, you say, okay, you unlock another pitcher or something like that. You get to go deeper into a game. You'd have to have some rules around it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So so what do you think that would affect? Do you think it would immediately add back to the starting pitching that, that would be more valuable? Or do you think we'd end up, we've gone back to the days of like pre just having a, a one third of an inning reliever where we've got these sort of bulk guys who will come out in the middle of a game and throw two to three innings. You'd probably have a bunch more of those guys and starting pitcher would gain more value. I think we might trend towards like everyone throws three innings. <laughs> yeah. So it may not fix things. And I don't mean to make it sound like Rob Manfred deserves all the blame in the world. That the problem with making rule changes is you often think you're pointing in one direction and you get something totally different. So, you know, you got to test all these rule changes in the minor leagues. So I would, before I ever did it in the major leagues, I'd do it in the minor leagues and say, but the one problem, the difference in the minor leagues is they're not trying to win every game. So they're trying to develop. So it would be kind of, you might have to do it in independent leagues or somewhere so that you could really see what does a team that wants to win do when you tell them they can only have five pitchers. But in any case, I'm just pro rule changes in general because I think they've done really well in basketball and football to improve the pace of the game, improve the, the enjoyability of the game. And I think baseball is is due for a couple of rule changes to kind of uh, keep up with the times. I mean, the guys are all throwing 100 now. You know, that's there's something different about baseball now than there used to be. Yeah, we used to not play games at night, and that's worked out okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we had didn't, to invent we didn't play, lights. Yeah, exactly. We didn't play west of the Mississippi for a long time. Now they do. You know, so like baseball's west. Yeah. Back in 1880, they batters used to actually say, uh, "Tell the pitcher where they wanted the pitch." Yeah, <laughs> lay it right in here. I'd like to whack it from from here. Yeah, there was like there was like no foul, foul balls didn't count as strikes till like uh, early nineteen exactly, or late eighteen. Yeah. Right? So play with one ball the whole game. Uh, hey, on the way out, uh, a thought from you on uh, on the MVP. We're talking analytic. You're talking you know not raw statistics, but rate stats. Where does a Shohei Otani fall into that category? Because I look at him and I'm like, if he can do this for the next four or five years, is this something that's a novelty to us? And so because we haven't seen this, we're giving him the MVP, or or do we believe he's He's the most valuable player, and if he continues to do this, does he just automatically remain the most valuable player in baseball for the foreseeable future? I just wonder, where does he stack up against some of these rate stats versus just us being amazed at what he's actually doing on the field? I think that he had a really good season on both sides of the plate. It is a question to be, like, is it almost unfair in the MVP race to accrue value on both sides of the plate? Because he did kind of almost have a 10-win season, whereas, you know, the runner-up is around six or seven wins 
wins in the parlance of sort of Fangraph's war or whatever. But, you know, Mike Trout has had some 10-win seasons. And what will happen is there will be a, a sort of novelty effect where Mike Trout had seasons where he should have won the MVP and didn't. And we were just kind of like, yeah, we know about Mike Trout. And this isn't a new thing. <laughs> this isn't a new thing. Willie Mays had many seasons where he should have won the MVP. You know, I helped uh, John Shea look at that for his book. And, and there were maybe three or four more MVPs Willie Mays should have won. So there's a natural sort of novelty aspect. There will be a wearing off of that. But I expect that, you know, somebody that can be that good, he was basically like a top 10 hitter, top seven type hitter on offense. And on pitching side was like a top 25 starting pitcher. Of course, that guy's the MVP. I mean, if, <laughs> he had both of those guys in one body. So on the other side, I thought there was an interesting uh, situation with Bryce Harper versus Bryce Harper and Juan Soto versus uh, Fernando Tatis. The one thing is, I don't think that defensive stats are really good right now. They're getting better and better every year. So I tend towards the offensive statistics. And Bryce Harper had the best offensive season, uh, I think, baseball, but definitely in the National League. And so I'm just going to basically tend towards him. Now, if Tatis had stayed at shortstop and played a really stellar defensive shortstop all year, then I would throw that into the picture and maybe would uh, change things. But I don't think that describes Tatis's defensive season. I mean, he was in the outfield. He made a lot of errors again. He regressed a little defensively. So to me, it's a comfortable Harper, Soto, Tatis type ballot. Yeah, off the top of my head, Tatis led shortstops in errors this season and did not play a full season at shortstop, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I respect, uh, you know, Andrew Baggerly had a, a great piece about how Brandon Crawford got his vote, you know, and how that tied into Crawford's value to the Giants and the Giants being so good. In particular, the way I see the Giants is that they had a bunch of really good players. I don't actually think they had an MVP on that team. That's a feeling that I have. But it's also borne out the numbers where most of the numbers say Crawford was good and in the conversation, but not necessarily the MVP. On the way out here, I'll just let you know, the nerds don't care about our feelings. They don't want to hear that. They just they want a, they want a tangible statistic that's going to tell us which guy was the MVP. You know, it's always fun, man. I love talking baseball with you. Uh, enjoy the offseason. We'll catch up with you again when, uh, when the lockout's over and we get close to starting the year. Yeah, until then, we'll have to drink some beer. All right, thanks for having me. Great stuff from Eno Saris, a uh, really fun guy to talk baseball with. Always sees uh, some obscure, I don't know, maybe notes or different angles and ways to look at the game, but always a lot of fun to pour over sort of the politics of baseball as well as changes and statistics that maybe play a bigger role than we sometimes pay attention to. And uh, it's a great thought about maybe maxing the number of pitches that a team, pitchers that a team could use uh, in a, a any given game that could speed up the pace of the game. Thank you to Eno Saris. Thank you to Brian, my producer. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We've got a fun show for you on Wednesday. Kate Scott, who used to host this very podcast, The Update, she's going to stop by. As the Warriors take on the Philadelphia 76ers at Chase Center Wednesday night, Kate Scott is going to stop by. She is, of course, now the TV voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. She'll talk Warrior basketball among many other things with us on Wednesday. So looking forward to talking to Kate Scott. Until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thank you.